This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Emma Viskich, welcome to Better Reading. Hello, thank you for having me on. I know we go way back, right? Yeah, How back in book. Yeah, back in the my my starry eyed days as a debut author with Resurrection Bay. Yeah, yeah. You were one of the first uh, podcasts I did. Yeah, there you go. And you would have been one of the first podcasts that we did because that was a little while ago now. It would have been 2015 or 16, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, what book number are we up to? Number four. There you go. Wow. Extraordinary. Okay. Emma is an award-winning Australian author living in Melbourne. She was formerly a classical clarinetist whose musical career took her around the world. Her novels about the deaf detective Caleb Selleck have won multiple awards, including a Net Kelly Prize and five David Awards. Emma learnt how to speak Auslan in order to write the series. So this is the latest book in the series called Those Who Perish. Wow, it's extraordinary where you started and where you're at, isn't it? Four books on. I, I was um, posting uh, photos the other day on my, I'm going to call it a website. I've got a little place where I just you know, put put events and things. And I looked at it and I went, wow, there's, there's four book covers there. And I had a little moment where I went, how did I do that? I, I've got no idea yeah. how I've written four books. I, I really, I really have no idea. <laughs> and also Caleb is a beloved character now. Well, he, he always has been for me. Yeah. <laughs> he, he drives me absolutely crazy because he, uh, you know, as an author it's, it's really important not to force your characters to do things. You know when you're reading a book and you go, oh, that, that doesn't feel right, that character wouldn't do that. So I'm, I'm always very aware of not getting in his way. Uh, he does do things that I really don't want him to do and sometimes, he, you know, he, he just won't won't do what I want him to do sometimes and um, I've just got to step back and go, yeah, mate, you're your own person. I've just got to go, <laughs> go with that. So even when he's he's being annoying like that for me as an author, I really do enjoy getting inside his head and, and writing about him. So I, I guess I'm lucky in that I'm, yeah, I enjoy his character. I just love it the way authors talk about characters sometimes because, you know, you're not the first to talk about a character as if it's not you. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, look, um, I know it is me. I mean, <laughs> intellectually, uh, but most of the time, no, I feel that the characters are very separate yeah, people. Yeah. And I think you've just got to, um, for me anyway, just lean into that and and just accept it rather than go, well, maybe maybe we, we need therapy rather than writing. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, a lot of authors say to me, you know, and I really didn't want her to do that, but in the end I just went with it. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we just need to accept and, yeah. <laughs> and go with it. Okay, let's go right back. I want to start, I want to talk about the music. 
I want to talk about why you wrote a character who is deaf and I want to talk about what is your passion, music or writing. Anyway, lots of things to talk about. So go back to why you started writing. Well, I can't actually remember when I first started writing. Um, I, I pretty much started writing about the time I could read. My, my dad was cleaning out the shed a few years ago and he, he gave me this huge box and I said, what's that? He said, oh, some of these stories. And I went, oh, like I knew I'd written a bit in primary school. I'm talking like four or five up, upwards. And it's this massive box. And then I found another one when I was, I was clearing out his shed a couple of years ago. And um, I thought, uh, and, and I started thinking about the process of, yeah, that's right. I, I was writing a lot as a kid. So it's always sort of been there as a thing that I need to do. I think um, as a huge reader, I was a little bit, apparently a little bit slow to start reading when I, I started school. But once I did, I just had to be um, in different worlds and in different heads, heads and, and I was just fascinated by, by books in the way I'm fascinated by people in real life. Um, so if I didn't have a book, I was writing, you know, mm. a book <laughs> as much as a, a primary school kid can, can write a book. We lived a fair way um, from shops or the library um there wasn't a lot of spare money so my, my, my parents loved reading but it's not like we could just buy books you know on the spur of the moment so I think that probably helped a bit mm. as well in that I just really wanted to be in a story whether I was reading it mm. or writing it mm-hmm. so that was always there but I think the music probably took over when I was a teenager I think probably for a couple of reasons, it it really hadn't occurred to me that I could be an author. Mm. So even though that I was always a career, writing, that's a career. Like it, it really, it really wasn't. Didn't seem like. I think it, it, it. It's not even that I'd thought about it and dismissed it. It had just never occurred to me that that was something I could do. All the books I was reading were written by um, UK. Sometimes American people, I've read very little Australian stuff until maybe I was a teenager. You know, you, you're reading what your librarians and what your parents and what the newspapers, you know, are, are giving you. It's changed a lot these days, I think. There's a lot more out there. That, the, all the authors seem to be men as well, apart from people like Enid Blyton. Um, you know, and I was a working class wog, you know, growing up on the outskirts of Melbourne. So it just, it just wasn't in there. So bizarrely enough, I became a classical musician <laughs> and was the cello something you're passionate about clarinet oh sorry the clarinet a, yeah funnily enough I am passionate about the cello I do love you it you are yeah yeah um look I had uh, there was no music at my school but my mum was incredibly musical and uh she actually studied to be an opera singer so that was um a big wow. part of her life she didn't go on and and, and be professional it's just you know it, very, very difficult for, a, you know, a, a really poor kid from Launceston, you know. But it was a big, big part of her life. So she really went out of her way to try and find us somewhere we could learn music. And uh, there were two instruments I could choose from. It was flute or clarinet. And I didn't know anything about either of them. She said, choose the clarinet. Right. <laughs> but very, very quickly I I fell in love with it. It's um, funnily enough like the cello, the clarinet, are the two instruments closest to the human voice. Oh, uh, are they? Yeah, they're, they're, they sing. They absolutely sing when you play them. And I think with clarinet, because it's breath-based, you get that real feeling of flow and um, 
warmth or, or whatever tone you want, anger, you know, happiness. Uh, it's a very, very uh, emotive, it's got a very emotive um, sound sound to it. So, yeah, I absolutely fell in love with it very quickly. And when did you start playing? Uh, when I was about 12. Right, Okay. Which is quite late for music, isn't it? It is. It's 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 uh it is quite late for a musician. I I did feel like I was playing catch up for a very long time, um, particularly because I I didn't have uh, easy access to groups, ensembles, and things. So so that that was definitely a bit of an issue. Uh, but you know. I don't have hobbies so much as obsessions and and, and that's what <laughs> clarinet was. Uh, so how many hours a day were you practising? Oh, by the time I was, say, in uni studying, yeah. it, it was three to four hours uh, of practice oh, and wow. then, you know, whatever rehearsals or concerts you've, you've got at the same time. It's very similar to me to the writing process. Yeah, I want to get that. to that, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I just want to finish the music before we mm. get to music and writing. But did you play professionally? Were you? Yeah, 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 yeah. For years, 15, 20 years or so. Yeah. Uh, so I, I studied in Australia, then I, I did my postgrad studies in um, the Netherlands, and then I, I came back to Melbourne and was playing professionally in uh, different orchestras, freelancing, different orchestras, lots of chamber music. Uh, I really like small groups where you can hear each individual instrument and you're you're very much working as almost like one one animal you know it's that little hive mind thing um that was absolutely my favorite thing still is actually I mean it's beautiful to play in a hundred piece orchestra being a big marler or something it's it's a glorious feeling but there's a real intimacy in playing in a small group that I that I really love. Yeah. Um, and do you still play? Yeah, but not professionally. I, I sort of, um, after I was published, I was playing and um, writing at the same time for, for a few years, but winding back, winding back the playing. It absolutely got to a stage where it's, there's just not enough hours in the day. And and actually there's only so much creative energy as, as well. So I had to go in one direction or the other and, and it was actually an easy decision when it, when it came to it. But well, it took- yeah, talking about creative energy, what came to mind to me when you were saying that was that I speak to authors that have a day job, you know, whether they're lawyers or school teachers or whatever they are during the day and then they write at night or early morning or on the weekend. And I always think, oh, that's left brain, left brain, particularly with law or medicine or something like that, like it's, you know, left brain versus right brain. But when you're playing the clarinet and you're writing, it's both left brain yeah. or whatever side of the brain the arts come from, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, and look, I, I think you can bring creativity into anything you're doing. Like I, I know yeah. um, people who do science and maths and, and, and they're doing these incredibly creative things, but they're also using a big chunk of that really logical, you know, yes. um, sort of process of thinking. So, yes, I think when you're when you're working in two very, very creative fields, look, some people can do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm also very, very slow. I'm a very, very slow writer. It takes me many, many hours to um, to accomplish what I want to accomplish. Yeah. So, okay. So, so go back before I interrupted you about music and writing. Where mm. were you going with that? Oh, uh, just the the actual process of spending hours in a room by yourself doing something. There is an element of discipline, uh, like say exercise, in that you've got to get up and you've got to make yourself do it. Um, There are times when you don't want to do it. But 
once you're in the moment, uh, I, I'm just I, I'm in a state of flow. I, I actually want to be doing it. So the the discipline is in enforcing the routine. But once the routine's there. I mean, you know, don't tell my family, but I love spending hours by myself. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just doing my own little work. I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm doing it. And I, I guess you call it hyper-focus when you're just doing what you're really engaged with. Yeah. There's a work side of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And definitely I can see the discipline side. And also too, you know, writing is practice as well. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that gets cut out in the editorial process. So you can say that writing, you know, 10,000 words that were just cut out was practice, I guess, in a way. I I literally think about it that way. Um, You do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about um, anything you, you start, you're you're bad at yeah like you, you never oh, do yeah. something I mean okay there are some amazing people out there but if I um handed you a trumpet and said hey perform and you'd never picked up a trumpet before you'd go are you mad and, and it's the same with writing you, you're not good when you first start but also the beginning of a book is never good either uh, and um the way I write which is very messy the middle is not very good either and the end is not very good it's only when it all comes together and I've reworked it and polished and and fine-tuned those phrases and the shape of the thing that it actually becomes anything that's vaguely readable uh so yeah it is it's it's all practice it it certainly doesn't come out as you know one shining word from the very first here's the first sentence and here we're just going to flow to the end of the writing process it's it's ugly it's an ugly horrible mess one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So I want to talk about the transition of music to books. So you said for a while there that you were doing both. So you wake up one morning and you decide you want to write. Tell me about that. So I I kept writing all through my teen years. Yeah. And um, I think probably in my 20s when, when I was really, my music career was, you know, I was really, really engaged in that. I stopped writing for almost almost 10 years, I, I didn't write a single story. I didn't write a single anything, no no poems, you know. Oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> poetry in my 20s would have been terrible. And I, I just, I kept feeling this, it wasn't so much a pull as an absence. Yeah. I really, really missed it. So although yeah. I was getting a lot of a lot of joy and a lot of um, satisfaction out of performing, uh, yeah, I just felt that there was this 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 hole in, in me that was needed to be filled by writing, um, and and I think um, 
one of the main reasons I write. It's not so much that I've got something to say, it's that I've got questions to ask. I want to know about things. I, I want to know, I want to understand how the world works and, and how people work and think and, 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 and get on together or not get on together, particularly because I'm a crime writer. And it was, it was really bugging me. So I just decided one day, okay, I'm going to write a book, as you do. And so I did and I... It was pretty horrible for the first couple of weeks in that I didn't want to do it. That, that's the discipline side of it. I just really didn't want to do it. It was almost, almost like um, two opposing magnets, you know, the, the want of doing it and the doing it, just pushing each other aside. But then one day I, I, I woke up and went, oh, God, I can't wait to start writing. I was so, I just, it was it's like wanting to drink a glass of water when you're thirsty. I had to do it. And I loved it. And I, I wrote an entire full-length manuscript, and it was terrible, absolutely horrible, but I loved it. Were you thinking about genre then? No. Uh, and actually, the, the interesting thing is thinking about genre came because I then wrote another full-length manuscript. So I, I wrote two, that never-to-be-published books, you know. I mean, Both of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I didn't want them to be published, like, really. But I, I sort of, oh, that's how you tell a story. That, that's how a book sort of comes together. As I read over them both, I went, where they're not working is that there isn't really anything happening. It's just people sitting around talking to each other. <laughs> um, so although it's interesting to say maybe eavesdrop on a conversation in a cafe, uh, reading a whole book of that, is is <laughs> much less yeah, absolutely yeah so the, the aspects of them both that worked were the slightly crimey plot that that well, not quite plot but but story that was sort of coming through in both of them and and so that's when I I went okay well, obviously you need some sort of you know something to happen in these books the crime elements working well I read a lot of crime I read everything. I think I, I set out to just write a book, but then I went, okay, now I'm going to write a crime novel. I think having parameters really helps me. So I knew that I needed to have a murder and I needed to have an investigation and we needed to work out who the murderer was and that's how Resurrection Bay started sort of churning over in my mind. I, had a, I came up with the first chapter the first scene, um, which no spoilers because it's in the first sentence of the very first Caleb book, which is that you see Caleb holding the slain body of his best mate. But I knew nothing else. I didn't know who Caleb was, who the, his dead mate was, who'd killed him. Maybe Caleb had killed him. And I wanted to know more. So I thought, well, I'll just write. I'll write like I, I'm going to read. I want to know what happens next. I want to know who this person is and and what terrible thing has happened. Um, and so I just kept asking myself questions and, and just having that those very broad parameters of a murder, an investigation, just pulled everything together in my brain and, and I was able to really sort of get, get in deep and, and do all the things I, I wanted to do in the book because there was a plot. <laughs> yeah. So when you thought of Caleb as the character, at what point did you decide that he needed to be flawed in a way? Oh, well, I, it, all characters. 
characters I've thought all characters need to be flawed because um they do don't they yeah yeah they I mean are. we're talking about human beings I mean yes yeah. I know I, I know they're not real yeah. <laughs> but they are but they are human they, they they're yeah. people um and really apart from the fact that the flaws are what make people interesting you know it's that beautiful image of cracked pottery Japanese pottery bowl that's been fixed with a beautiful gold you know that's what makes people individual and unique and maybe you you need to dial it up in a book usually because everything needs to just be a little bit clearer people are complicated Um, we need to make characters complicated and yet simple enough to recognize their complications it's it's a you know and and it's different for every reader and writer obviously that that, but there's a there's a balance so Caleb was absolutely flawed from the start point did you decide that Caleb's going to be deaf okay so this is where we get into the woo-woo subconscious stuff uh he was deaf right from the start and it was not a decision that I made he just was deaf um at the time I sort of I had no idea why but he, he was there. Uh, it took me a little while to work it out. I kept thinking I'm, I'm not understanding something about this character and then I I sort of recognised in him traits of a girl I'd gone to primary school with who was profoundly deaf and I realised that I'd written, I'd written all these scenes with him not hearing people and responding in this odd way and, and that's what I mean about having questions when I write. You know, I sort of I write my way into the characters and I write my way into the to the story and then start realising, I look back and go, oh, wow, I've I've put things in that I didn't realise I was writing. And funnily enough, it was it was actually after Resurrection Bay was published that I, I could sort of trace back where his character had come from and um, I've actually been writing aspects of his character ever since my very first published story uh, when I was 12 was in Pursuit Mag- magazine. It was about a blind man. Oh. And then I went on to write, you know, in my teen uh, years, you know, a novella, you know, a girl who was mute and, and someone who was invisible. So all these really extreme outsider characters that we've, we've often with, with disabilities and things. Uh, so, yeah, he, he's been there in the back of my brain, I guess, for, for a very long time. So um, I don't know how to phrase this question, but, you know, there is a conversation, a larger conversation in the literary world at the moment, and it's been going on for a couple of years about cultural appropriation. So to write a deaf character um, and not being deaf yourself, have people, how have people responded to that? Well, to my face, I have only had incredibly positive feedback Absolutely. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think you nail him, but anyway, yes. But I just but, so I, I'm I'm sure not everyone will always be happy yeah. with it because we're all individuals, and 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 that is one of the things about writing from outside your own perspective. You have to be, you have to be open to criticism. Yeah. Um, you have to be accepting of it for for whatever reason you're getting the criticism. There are absolutely people out there who say you should not write anything from outside your own perspective. Mm. I don't happen to agree with that, but they are absolutely within their rights to say that. So I could say, unless you're a woman, you cannot write a female character. I would never say that. But I absolutely understand, particularly if you're from an underrepresented background, why you would feel that way. Uh, And 
Absolutely valid. So for me, I actually take it really, really seriously. I mean, I I, I do tend to um, agonise over things anyway, but I, I I actually stopped writing the first Caleb book for that very reason. I thought I didn't feel I um, I had the technical ability to do it, mm-hmm. um, and I, I I felt uncomfortable about whether I had the right to do it. Um, so I I actually put the manuscript aside for about six months, I think it was. But it was one of those things where I just kept wanting to do it and wanting to do it, and and then did a deep dive into how and why and and. I hate the word research because it feels a little bit cold-blooded, but you know, I, I did, I did, I did a lot of research. I'm, I'm still doing. I'm still learning Auslan. So yes, if there's criticism out there, absolutely, um, I'm open to it. But it's yeah, been a yeah. really positive experience. So it far. has, and also too. I mean, the way that I I read it is that it's just you know layers of complexity that people have that make it interesting. We all have yeah. them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's interesting. I um, it's only looking back that I can sort of work out various reasons why I've been drawn to write about deafness, and and that's been fascinating for me. Just from a how do you do things that you're unaware? Yeah. For the reasons of doing them, but um, in in the however many years I've been writing his character, it's only sort of in the last few years that I've gone, oh, okay, I can look back now and I can see that my grandparents didn't speak English. I didn't speak Croatian. When they came to live with us, we couldn't communicate. Um, They were in a very tiny, tight community in Sydney where everyone spoke Slav and they came to live with us and it's like, it was really confronting as a seven-year-old. Mm. Um, not not to go too deeply into the you know therapy session, um, but it's only recent in recent years that I've realised that there's a lot of me in Caleb as well. I mean, I would have sworn that he was his absolutely own separate person, and there was no shred of me in there. But absolutely, what is Caleb? He is an outsider who feels. Torn between worlds, you know, he's he's in he's in the hearing world, he's in the deaf world. What is he? I've always felt like that myself. I mean, I think most writers do to a certain degree, but you know, am I a working class? Am I a classical musician? The wog who can't speak <laughs> her parents' language, um, and probably on the deepest level, it's that I had undiagnosed ADHD, which I. I only realised, you know, a, a few, a, quite recently, and that's had a massive impact on my life. Uh, in that, I have never been able to do what other people find easy. I I have a lot of trouble with many things that you would just assume that a grown adult could do. You know, getting yourself out the door to somewhere and walking out and go, having no idea how you're going to get there. You know, on a basic yeah. level, but, but, yeah. but also it it impacts. You have no uh, easy filter. Any idea that is in your head or anything in the room is suddenly the most important thing. It impacts your emotions. It impacts your sleep. It's everything. But I didn't know that. I just thought I couldn't do things that other people could do. But then Um, you could do a lot of things that other people could do. Do my own things. But but why can't I do those other things? Why, Why can't I keep on an even keel? Why can't I get stuff done? Why does it take me five hours to write an email? That's two sentences long, you know. So all of those things and also constantly getting in trouble but having no idea why 
or when you're going to get in trouble from whoever is in the room. So it's that watchfulness. You're just watching all the time to make sure that you're doing the right thing. So you're trying to learn the rules. And it's like, who does that sound like? Oh, my God, that sounds like Caleb, doesn't it? Watching. Is he in the right place? Is he doing the right thing? So it's there. And I think that's what, as writers, you're often trying to work out what's happening in your own brain without even realising it. At least that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm going to claim that all writers are like that. And it's and not I'm, my psychosis. <laughs> Emma, you're wonderful. We're out of time. The book is called Those Who Perish. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me along. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.